0: This past year, uh, my boys and I had our opportunity to go to our first NFL football game. And so we loaded up in the car. We headed down to Ford Field. It was the Lions versus the Bears. And you may not know this about me, but I'm originally from Chicago. And so we had our Bears gear on walking into Lions uh, Stadium, which in a a typical year actually would not be that big of a deal because over my lifetime, the Lions have had not that great of a run. But this last year, they actually were doing pretty good. And so it started off you know, back and forth, and it didn't take long, and the Lions just started pulling ahead. They were, they were trouncing on the Bears. The Bears were losing. So I'm wearing my, my, my Bears gear in this sea of Honolulu blue, and everyone's cheering. And uh, I'm like marginally a sports fan anyways. I'm not a diehard by any means, but I just started feeling bummed. I wanted to be part of the winning crew, right? I wanted to experience that, and so uh, some of you will judge me for this. Um, I flipped a switch, and I've lived in Michigan most of my life. I was happy that the Lions were winning. I was like, I'm gonna be with the crowd, I'm gonna cheer when the Lions are doing well, and I have to tell you, I felt better. Like The whole thing just started started being a more enjoyable experience, Uh, because no one wants to feel like they're on the outside everyone wants to feel like we're inside and if we're honest I think all of us at different times have felt like we're on the outside where we wanted to be on the inside maybe it was trying to fit into a certain group a clique a circle of friends and whether it was exclusion or maybe fear social anxiety we just could not get ourselves into that circle maybe it was a hobby or an activity a sports team A play, something you really, really, really wanted to be a part of. And being on the outside was excruciating. It was painful. The feeling of rejection. I think we've all felt that at certain times. In fact, some of you may feel that in your life right now. Feeling like you are on the outs. And if that's the case, there's actually a beautiful bit of scripture we're going to look at today. We've been making our way through the book of Ephesians. And so good morning, Community Church, those who are gathered here in Mount Pleasant Good morning to our St. John's campus. Good morning to our Alma campus. Miss seeing you today. Good morning to those of you who are watching online. My name's Aaron and I'm the campus pastor in Alma. Uh, And as we are making our way through Ephesians, I can't wait to bring this text from Ephesians chapter two. And this past week, Pastor Josh did a fantastic job sharing about how we can, uh, we only can find grace through faith. It is not by works. And that statement, but, God, God, enrich in rich and mercy. It was a powerful message. If you missed it, go back and watch it. And today we are looking at the second half of chapter 2 in the book of Ephesians. If you happen to have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open up with me. I don't know if Bible reading is a normal part of your rhythm. If it's not, I hope that would be something maybe you're growing in. Uh, we are making our way through chunk by chunk through the book of Ephesians over the summer. And so if you're looking for a place to read, maybe you don't have a regular habit of getting into the Bible, the book of Ephesians is a fantastic place to start this summer because there is so much more in here than what we can actually cover over these messages as we're going through. We're going to be starting in verse 11. And so we've established already up to this point that grace, grace defines who we are as God's people. If you have put your faith in Christ. Grace defines us, and this obviously has implications for us personally, but I think it also has implications for us corporately, collectively, as a community. Grace defines us, and it brings actually in that definition a sense of unity, which is good because there are a million things that divide us, and you might think, well, of course, sports teams might be on that list. We're divided by different music preferences, different hobbies, things that we spend our time on. I think over my lifetime, politically in this country, we are more divided and you know at an impasse away from each other than at any other point that I can remember. This last week, over the 4th of July, we rented a boat, and we were up north on, on a lake, and uh, this rental boat, we were heading back towards uh, where we were supposed to, to get out, where we had started, and the boat died right in the middle of the lake. And so we, we were sitting there trying to fix it. I had to call the, the SOS number and they come out and they couldn't get it working and so they towed us back in. And when they towed us back in, we were far, far miles away from where our cars were. And so the owner of this boat place, his parents were nice enough to kind of take both of our family and their two cars and drive us over. And, uh, and, and the, our one driver has a T-shirt on and it's of a political campaign of, of a, of a re- recent history. And I'm like, Dad, don't say anything. Don't don't bring it up. <laughs> He's given us a ride. It's, I mean, let's 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 be nice. And uh, fortunately everyone kind of didn't didn't talk about it. Um, although we did find out that he was a buckeye and we did go there, but you know, there are so many things that divide us. You think about even within the church, different denominations were split by theology, different camps of understanding. Many churches are divided by worship style. What's what's our preference in in different places? And some of these differences that we find in life are small, but some of them are also significant. They're major. Some of the differences that we find in our society, they separate us, they divide us. And, And separation can get to a certain point where it actually leads to prejudice. And prejudice is defined as a feeling or a preconceived notion about someone based solely on their group membership or affiliation. Prejudice is this the sense of I I think something about someone based on where I you know put them into a certain category or maybe on the other side of an issue for me. And there seems to be a part of prejudice that is in the bad part of our flesh. It's in human nature. In fact, if we're honest, I think in, at some point, in some way, each of us have probably participated in, it, in, in a certain degree. We said something we wish we hadn't. We pointed the finger at somebody else. And you see this throughout the world. I mean, even in recent history, there's often a bloody and ugly history associated with prejudice. You look at the history of the United States, going all the way back to slavery and segregation, Different ethnic groups, and not just whites and blacks, but Native American history, Asian Americans, Latinos, wounds that we still carry as a nation. And it's not just, you know, held to us. You see, historically, Christians that are fighting with each other, Catholics and Protestants over the last centuries, but even over the last 100 years in Ireland and Europe, Other faiths have the same problem, this issue of prejudice and separation and fighting. Muslims in the Middle East, division between the Shia and the Sunni, Israel and Palestine. You look at South Africa and things like apartheid over over my lifetime, civil wars throughout the world, millions who have lost their lives rooted in prejudice and racism. It's a human problem. And if you take that all the way back throughout mankind's history, in fact, if you go back to the first century when the book of Ephesians was written, prejudice was also still a huge problem. It was behind the social system that existed at the time that Paul was writing these words to the the church in Ephesus. It led to division and cultural, national and, and racial instability in different ways. The Romans looked down on everyone who wasn't Roman. The Greeks looked down on anyone who wasn't Greek. The Jews, they were in the same boat. They looked down on anybody who wasn't Jewish. There was division. There was separation. It was the norm in that society. You didn't interact with someone who was in a different class or caste or or religious system from you. And it led to wars and subjugation. You think about that throughout mankind's history. That's why the gospel is so radical. That's why it's so countercultural. I think the gospel is countercultural today. It was even more radical then following Christ. In the midst of so much division, insurmountable division, the church was born. In the midst of separation and segregation after Jesus, suddenly you have the birth of this community, the church where the, in the body of Christ you have Romans and Greeks and Jews sitting next to each other. You have men and women worshiping together. You have slaves sitting next to those who are, have owned slaves, those who are poor next to those who have status in society. It is this radical mixing that goes against the sense of separation that has existed And it wasn't just saying that, you know, each culture should be celebrated or uh, not that that's a a bad thing in and of itself, but it was eliminating the boundaries that separated them. Jesus, he ultimately came to establish this new community, his church, his people, and it didn't look like anything else. It had its own identity, and, and that's what the church is meant to represent today. People from different backgrounds, different cultures, different points of view. You sitting here across all three campuses and online. On a typical Sunday here at community church, several thousand people. It would be hard if we did a straw poll to find something that we all agreed upon. If it wasn't for Jesus. In Revelation 5, it paints a picture of Jesus and... It says that with his blood he purchased for God men and women from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you see that in the body of Christ there is this beautiful picture of diversity. So here at the end of Ephesians 2, Paul has already laid out that we are saved by grace through faith that's not by works. And Paul is giving us a picture of the family of God. A a picture of a family that includes all people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation. And today I want to look at three changes that happen for you and me when we become a part of that family. In verse 11 of chapter 2, Paul says to remember that you were once Gentiles. And if you're not familiar with that term, a Gentile is anyone who is not Jewish. And so if you weren't Jewish, you were a Gentile. You were called uncircumcised by the circumcision. And circumcision was a physical mark that separated Jews from non-Jews. And then we jump into verse 12. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, And without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So, Paul, when he was initially writing these words, he was writing them to the church in Ephesus. And he's saying, Remember, you were once separate from Christ, you were without Christ, you were aliens. You were foreigners from the nation of Israel, and as a result, you had no hope. You were without hope and without God in the world. And then in verse 13, but now. Last week, Pastor Josh talked about that statement, but God, a powerful idea. This is another but God statement. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Now, a few of you who are listening to my voice may have some Jewish lineage, but for the vast majority of us, this passage is written about us, Gentiles. Again, a Gentile is anyone who wasn't born Jewish. Gentiles were also They happened to be who uh, primarily made up the people of Ephesus, who the book of Ephesians was written to. And so, up until Jesus, there was this huge separation between Jews, the people of God, God's people, and everybody else. And spiritually speaking, there was incredible significance to being Jewish. God had chosen the nation of Israel, the Jews, to be his people through an initial promise, a covenant that he made with Abraham. He had revealed himself to them progressively throughout history. You can read in the Old Testament. He had uh, made covenants with them. He he gave them the law initially through Moses. They were God's people, and consequently, the Jews worshipped the one true God that we worship. When everyone else was worshipping false gods, it was through the Jews, the nation of Israel, that Jesus, our hope for salvation, was born. God had given the nation of Israel his word, the scriptures which ultimately reveal God. He had spoken to them directly through prophets, and, and he had also given them the temple where they could worship and engage with him. He gave them a method of connecting with him prior to Jesus through priests. Before Jesus, the Jews had it all when it came to a relationship with God. And it was a big deal. On the other hand, Gentiles, you and me, those who weren't Jewish, spiritually speaking, we had nothing. Our text says that we were without. We were without hope, without Christ, without God. And up until Jesus, the the nation of Israel, the Jews, they, they held that identity as God's people so closely. And rather than sharing that message with the Gentiles, which actually was called for in the Old Testament law, their designation as God's people actually led to separation. There was a mutual hatred between those who were Jews and everybody else, A strict Jew, if they were walking down the street and a Gentile was coming their way, would go the other direction. If you were Jewish, you were in when it came to faith. And if you weren't a Jew, you were out. And that is what many, that's what we were before coming to faith. Before coming to Jesus, we were out. We were on the outside. Having a need inside of us that we could not satisfy or find anywhere else. Maybe you felt that. Maybe you carried that. Maybe you can remember that. Rejected by the world, looking for meaning, looking for something inside of you that is crying out for God. And maybe some of you listening to my voice right now are feeling that, feeling like you're on the outside. I read an article a couple of years ago. And it was saying, we don't just have a pandemic going on, we have an epidemic of loneliness. And they were pointing to a study that said that one in two adults in this country deals with loneliness on a significant basis. Increases over the last couple of years in depression and anxiety, they haven't gone away with the pandemic. They, they carry with us. Some of you know the feeling of feeling like you are on the outside, isolated, feeling rejected. When I was growing up, we moved around a lot. And there is no I was thinking of this feeling, there's no feeling quite like being on your first day of school, walking into the cafeteria with your lunch, and just looking for a place to sit. Either an open spot where no one will notice you or you know, a kind word from someone inviting you to sit with them. And you know, that feeling of being on the outside, oh, it just makes you cringe sometimes. You know, some of you today might have felt that even walking into church, this sense of, oh, you know, will they accept me? Am I, am I received here? But now look at verse 13, what Paul is saying. that You were on the outside without hope, but now there is hope in those words. Those who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. There existed this separation But now, following Jesus, there is no separation. God had been just for the Jews, but now, those who had been excluded, God is now accessible for everyone. This is the good news that we're being reminded of. And here is the change that actually is happening. We were out, and now we're in. You were on the outside, but now... Once you've received Christ, you are on the inside if you felt like you were on the outside. Maybe because of words that were spoken to you. Maybe because of insecurity or social isolation, maybe something that you've done. There's nothing that you have to do to earn your way into God's care. All you have to do is accept him. It is my grace that you are saved, if you feel like an outsider, you are welcome here as part of this church, as part of this family. And we collectively, as God's people, we need to make sure that the same way that we have been accepted by God unconditionally, that we are accepting of others, that we carry the banner that God is available to everyone, even me, and even you. Let's continue in verse 14, it says, for he himself, He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. We already talked about how the Jews had this you're in or you're out idea of following God, but there were also layers of separation that existed even within Judaism. In the temple, which again, prior to the availability of the Holy Spirit, prior to Jesus' death and resurrection, the temple was where God's spirit dwelled. And there was a very specific set of separation that separated God's presence from everybody else. First of all, there was this court of Gentiles, those who weren't Jewish outside of the temple where those who had converted or wanted to be close to God that weren't born into Israel could be. And then you'd make, yourself, you'd make your way into the temple and you'd come into a court of women And then inside of that, there'd be a court of men, and only those Jewish-born males could be in, in that presence. But still, they could not get close to the holy place, getting closer to where God was. They had the court of priests, and only the priests could go there. Separation, each stage, getting closer and closer to the presence of God, and each stage becoming more and more exclusive about who could go there. And Paul, he understood this. In fact, Paul had been a Pharisee. Paul had access over his lifetime to the inner circles. And after encountering Christ, he had such a transform- transformation, change in his life, that he chose to carry the message of the gospel specifically to the Gentiles, to those who had been the furthest out. Paul knew about host- the hostility that was found in that separation. He knew about the separation Prior to Jesus, so much of what it meant to be a Jew had been about being set apart, being separate. These verses say that one singular event changed that. That on the cross, Jesus' death made way for two separate groups to become one. And here is the second change that happens when we come to Christ we were separated, and now we are united. We were separate, we could not gain access to the Father and now we find ourselves united to Christ, in Christ. As a result, there is no longer Gentile or Jew. There's only those who have put their faith in Christ. It doesn't matter about your lineage, it doesn't matter about your family, It doesn't matter about your status. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you are united with Christ, and consequently, you are also united with the body of Christ in the church. There's now a new name. There's no longer Gentile and Jew, a new identity. And that identity is that of a Christian, a follower of Christ. And this was ultimately God's plan from the beginning. In John chapter 10, Jesus is teaching He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know my voice. But there are sheep that are mine that are not of this fold, that are not of the nation of Israel. And this would have been radical, again, for his listeners to hear. And those sheep will hear my voice, and I will have one flock, and there will be one shepherd. Messiah was never meant to be just for the Jews. God had a plan to redeem everyone from humanity who would put their faith in Christ. We see Jesus is for the Jews, but he is also for the Gentiles. Jesus is for you. Jesus is for Americans, and Jesus is for those who live in the Middle East. Jesus is for people in Africa and in Europe, South America and Asia, Jesus is for dark-skinned and light-skinned people. He's for Democrats, and Jesus is for Republicans. He is for those who have been blessed with much and those who have little. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. It doesn't matter what sin you carry, what you happen to struggle with. All that matters is if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's a powerful reminder because it has implications not just for me, but also it has an impact on the way that I, as a follower of Jesus, see other people. What if we looked at each other that way? When we see someone, initially, we feel that that prejudgment, that prejudice, that negative reaction, and we reminded ourselves that Jesus is for them. We go to work on Monday and we're surrounded by those people that we either love or hate. You know, we say Jesus is for these people. When you're stuck in traffic, you know, some of them really need Jesus. You, can, you know that for sure, but you, I would say I, Jesus is for them. Any place where I feel this negative reaction against someone, maybe a post on social media that's against what I believe, and Jesus is for that person. People who are stuck in sin, just like you and I either were or are, Jesus is for you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And the only hope that any of us have to have victory over sin, to have a change of heart, is to encounter the Spirit of God. So, my job is to say, How can I help people come into contact with God through me? There is no longer separation, we are united. You can have access to the living God. And this is good news, not just for you and me. This is good news for the world. Let's look at these last few verses, starting in verse 19. It says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with God's people. And you are also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and Christ Jesus himself as the the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Paul here is summarizing much of what we've covered already in the first two chapters of Ephesians. Beautiful verses, beautiful reminders of our identity. But I want to focus in on verse 19. You are no longer foreigners and strangers. That is what you were. But you are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. You are family. We're not out we're in we were we're not separated we are united and here's the final change we were foreigners and now we're family we were strangers we were estranged from god but now there's this entire shift we're not just you know accepted we are family this new kingdom that jesus ushered in it's your new home you belong You are accepted. Romans 8 talks about when you've received Christ that you are adopted as a son or daughter. You are an equal heir. A couple years ago we adopted our daughters and uh, it was a a wonderful process. uh, But following their adoption we had to go through a little bit of the legal paperwork you know, and in writing, you know, up our beneficiaries and up, updating to make sure the, the tens of thousands of dollars that I had would be able to go to all four of my kids equally, this, this passing on. Each of my kids, whether they are biological or adopted, are equally important and loved in our family. This is an idea of what the family of God looks like. And I realize that sometimes our earthly families can fail us. But with family, you should always be able to be yourself. You should be able to be honest and vulnerable. To know that you have a place to go, where you're accepted and where you're known, where where people know uh, who you know care about you. And, And ultimately, that is a picture of what the church is meant to be. And I realize the church, sometimes we can fail in that, but that is the family. That is the idea of what the bride of Christ is meant to be. And that's the culture that we want to shape at Community Church. That loving and caring for people, that we we would look after those who are hurting, we would pray for each other, that we'd reach out to those who are missing, that those who are aging. And and I know that can be challenging sometimes. In fact, I know there are many times that I have failed in that. But oh, when we get that right, look to the people to the right and to your left those who are in the chat online with you. You are family, you belong to each other, you have a responsibility to each other. You are united in a bond that is so much bigger through Christ than anything that would separate us. The gospel is good news for you and it's good news for me, it's good news for the world. God has made a way for, through Jesus for us to be part of his family. I want to close today just thinking about the change that Jesus ushered in. Prior to Jesus, layer upon layer, separation between man and God. And if you wanted to, you know, engage with God, if you wanted to know God, if you wanted to have a relationship with God, prior to Jesus, you had to go to the temple. The temple was where God's spirit dwelt. But to even get into the temple, you had to be an Israelite. If you weren't born an Israelite, you had no hope. There was no chance of getting in. But let's say you were born of Israel. You would go inside, and there would still be separation. There would be a place of wanting to get closer to God. And unless you were a priest born of the tribe of Levi from the family of Aaron, you could not get into the holy place where God's presence was. But let's say you were a priest, that you could go inside, there was still a separation, a veil that separated the presence of God from the Holy of Holies, from us. And the only chance of going in there is if the chief priest once a year would go in for a few moments to fulfill his responsibilities, and he could not dwell in the presence of God long, or else he would die. Layer upon layer upon layer of separation. Do you get what I'm saying? Because of what Jesus did, prior to Christ, we had very little access to God. In fact, it was hopeless. We were without hope. This is the significance of what Jesus did on the cross. When he died, he separated that division between us and God. That veil that separated God's presence in the temple from us, it was literally ripped from top to bottom. You can have access. God is available to you. Come on in. There is no more separation. You who were out, you are now accepted and in. We are united. We're family. and. This is an important thing for us to grasp, but it's also important for us to hold as a community, as God's church. This is the culture that we want to maintain and establish within the body of Christ, that we stand with arms open to anyone who would want to come to Jesus, regardless of race, gender, regardless of culture or political affiliation, regardless of beliefs on certain issues, regardless of age, God's grace is available to all who would come to him. And you and I can be part of that work as God's people to extend God's love in a way that impacts and changes the world for him. So church, as we close today, across all three campuses, would you stand with me? And I want to finish by speaking to God that privilege that we have through Jesus Christ. And so if you'd bow your heads, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for being for us. God, thank you for having a plan from the beginning of time to redeem us from our sin, from our mess. God, thank you for accepting us as we are. God, for making a way for us to engage with you, for removing the separation. God, in moments of worship, I just just thank you for your presence in my life and in this community. God, collectively, we repent of times that we've created separation between the church and other people. God, whether that was something that we did individually, something that we've done collectively, God, help us find ways to make the church feel like a family, to use our gifts, to use what you've given us to help people feel welcome, to help us make you famous above everything else in this world, to live our lives as a living sacrifice, looking to to build your kingdom. God, that you would use us in that work. God, I thank you for the people that you've led to be part of this little local church. God, those that you have brought to be part of this family. God, I pray that your spirit would move in the lives of the men and women that are hearing my voice right now. God, that you would empower us, you would embolden us. God, you would lead us to the work that you want us to do. Because Jesus, you are so worth it. God, it's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. St. John's, Alma, Mount Pleasant. Hope to see you next week for Ephesians chapter 3. Now go be the church.